is up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Movies for Breakfast, the podcast. I am joined by Anna Bryant and James Correas. What is going on, you two? Hey, guys. Not a whole yeah. lot. Uh... Oh, wow. A little, a, little, a little battle for who gets to talk first <laughs> early in the Movie for Breakfast podcast. <laughs> I mean, I just woke up for breakfast, so James, you can take it away while I finish up some of my tea. All right, so let's talk about weekend box office. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Jumping right into it. How are you? Let's yeah. let's business. Let's just, let's business here. <laughs> yeah, business. All right, so we're talking about Black Panther. It has officially, it's up there with the billion dollar club. <laughs> it still have has a little bit of way to go before it gets to the like the top ten of, like you know, highest grossing movies of all time. Oh, I have a quick question. Hi, to be a highest grossing movie of all time, does that include like all sales ever? So like when Black Panther starts doing like streaming sales and stuff, like it'll just keep going mm. up or does it all theater? I think it just means the box office. Uh, yeah, just box uh-huh. office. And if it's re-released, you know, it earns a little bit more cash. That's I think that's how Titanic, a uh, little indie flick for <laughs> Leo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like you know that that got re-released yeah. and everything. I would not be surprised to see Black Panther back in the theaters come December, January, as it gears up for Oscar season. Yeah. So I would but definitely yeah. look look forward to that. So here we go. Black Panther at number one. Wrinkle in Time, which is a movie that people thought was gonna take down Black Panther. I thought so. Uh yeah, so Black Panther earned forty one million, uh, Wrinkle in Time thirty three, Strangers Pray at Night is number three, Red Sparrow number four, and Game Night for our five. I love Game Night sticking in there. Jason Bateman bringing his <laughs> A game, really holding on to that to his spot in the top five. I respect it. <laughs> but a little quick thing, Trent. Your movie Tower Heist? I mean, what? not Tower Heist. Tower Hurricane Heist. Heist. Hurricane Heist. <laughs> yes, I have not seen it yet. I plan to see it soon. I think maybe we should that review it. it. Number eight. <laughs> because it would be hilarious to talk about for 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, that's sad that it's at number eight, but also not surprising. And probably still successful. <laughs> but you know what movie is still hanging in there at number 10? Jumanji. Jumanji. Keep making them money, man. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so right now, South by Southwest is happening in Austin. Trent, you're going to be there soon. I'll be there tomorrow. For... Yeah, you're not going to be there for the movies. No, I am not a member of the movie press, as it were. I am just a member of the lifestyle press. But in this scenario, I will be covering the music portion of the South by Southwest festival. And I am from Texas, so I'm very excited to go back. Yep. So one of the things uh, coming out of there is uh, early good buzz for the John Quizent. What? How do you say his last Krasinski? name? Jim from the Office. Just John Krasinski. It's not that <laughs> he hard. He made to a say. movie. It's not even that hard to say. You're being lazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really. Am. <laughs> so there's early buzz for his movie Quiet Place uh, with Emily Blunt, his wife. It's yeah. So I'm really excited about it. I'm surprised that it had a commercial at the 
Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, commercials at the Super Bowl are super expensive. So, I mean, it's not like he's paying for it, though. I mean, the studio no, but is like, obviously yeah, but... putting some power behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be successful. It looks really, really interesting. I mean, the <clears throat> at least the premise, like, sort of apocalyptic, you know, monsters take over the world, and apparently they f- can only find you via sound. I don't know. I guess they don't have eyes. I don't know. It's quite a hindrance for a monster to not have eyes. Although I guess I don't know what other senses they have other than hearing. Hmm? Yeah, uh, this movie is going to come out April 6th, so look out for that one. I feel like we have no excitement about this movie. It's just weird. It's just like, <laughs> oh, well, it's going to come out. I mean, well, I, you know. It's, just, it's a horror movie. It's The excitement is when you watch it, and then afterwards, you know, you talk about it. Yeah. That's about it. Whoa, you know? that was crazy. Can't believe those monsters did have eyes the whole time. Plot twist. Well, yeah, a, a lot of people are saying that this is what Cloverfield, Cloverfield uh, paradox should have been. You know, instead of what we got. I didn't watch it. Yeah, didn't watch it, so I don't feel bad about it. Another thing that come out of the South by is uh, the trailer for. Sorry to bother you. Uh, so, what you guys think? Th- what are your thoughts on this trailer? Well, let's let's talk about the movie r- real quick before we get into what we saw. Um, the the film is by Boots Riley, who I think is a musician or was a musician. Yeah. This is his first foray into filmmaking, mm. and from the looks of it, it seems to be a, a social cuss comedy um, taking on. I guess, you know, it's very much taking on the same subject matter as a Get Out, obviously approaching it in a different way, just sort of like definitely take on like a different perspective of um, black culture fitting in with, you know, the overarching, I guess, society, where they fit and stuff like that. And I guess, Anna, do you want to talk a little bit about what the movie seems to be focused on? Well, yeah. So this movie got a lot of really good feedback coming out of Sundance. So I'm really glad that you caught this trailer when it came out for the podcast this week. The movie sort of deals with, like, African-American dude in Oakland who is working at a job, and when he puts on a white voice, which I think is very well cast, they use David Cross's voice for him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is it bad that literally when the trailer was happening, they're like, you have to use your white voice? I was like, I feel like David Cross, I'm about to hear David Cross's voice. Yep. (laughs) Like, it it, it was like a short list, like, of people that you would expect to hear. I feel like he's at the top. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, and so then you hear uh, David Cross's voice coming out of him, and he starts to get promoted. This trailer sort of made me think of, like, the style... And obviously the casting, because he's also cast in Atlanta. Yeah, this it reminded yes. me a lot of Atlanta. And the New Yorker had a piece come out about Donald Glover this week, which was really interesting, talking about how like Atlanta sort of by it became the show it is by like trying to break rules. And so I think in a way that probably like set the stage for a movie like this to be coming out. Yeah, and Get Out broke a bunch of rules, too. Yeah. 
or change the dynamic, I guess, of of what a people thought, like what people could see as like a successful movie, like what a movie can be. Oh shit! And Black Panther. I mean, like this is all happening. Like, it feels like this is all happening like right now, like in this one like yeah crazy storm. Like Get Out definitely sets the stage for this movie to pick up a lot more traction. Whereas like it also because it has like a very like artistic direction to it, you know, like Flying Lotus yeah. also puts out movies, but like so granted some of those can look a little like like that they're going for like a grotesque picture, but Flying Lotus's movies like don't pick up the traction and like that could be because it they were coming out before things like Atlanta and Get Out picked up such wide following. I'll say this too, um, before uh letting James talk about why he picked this film uh, or this trailer this this movie gets traction and gets steam because it, it's funny like it looks really fun like, yeah it looks like it's going to be like a good time at the theater and that's a huge part of why these things make it to the mainstream well yeah there are a lot of good movies that don't make it to the mainstream though that's what I mean though like this is why this sort of Oh, it, it okay, just seems okay. like it's going to capture a lot of attention because it looks fun and it looks like it will set it will do what it set out, it sets out to in more ways than one. Yeah, I think this movie because it was one of the first things that I saw. A couple things that I read uh, coming out from South by, I just clicked on it, and yeah, it had this Atlanta feel to it. I know it's it's easy to say that with like same casting kind of but still it, it, it I think it's the their directorial debut right the directors yeah it is yeah I, I don't think he's ever done a movie yeah yeah before. yeah he, and yeah same thing with uh, the review that we're going to talk about earlier today thoroughbreds it's their it's his debut as well yeah it just seems to me like if you look at the success Greta Gerwig and Jordan Peele had as first-time directors, it's like all these people are just being really good about timing, like knowing when to jump in and with what story to come yeah, in with. Yeah, it's nice because we're getting all these fresh ideas, these new directors, and we're getting away from, like, say, the old ones, and they, that's just kind of like they need to retire, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's like... <laughs> James telling Steven Spielberg to go to hell. I love, okay. <laughs> I love Steven Spielberg. Jurassic World. Great movie. Jurassic Park. Whoa, whoa. Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park is a great movie. Jurassic World is an okay Sorry, movie. I was thinking, I was like, don't, don't say Jurassic it's World. Fun. Don't say Jurassic World. And I said it. <laughs> I played myself. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know about his latest movies. I feel like sometimes he's calling it in, putting it in. You know, I mean, he has the potential to make some good movies, but I don't know. I just want brand new talent, some fresh ideas, and this is a fresh idea, you know? And kind of that yeah, freshness sure. is what we need to see in the Oscars as well. And I'm excited to see Army Hammer in another role. He's like channeling that, uh, one of the, the what is it, Social Network twin. <laughs> In this one, <laughs> Army Hammer's been around for a while, and it seems like he's never been hotter than at this moment. He has another big movie coming out. It's like a, like an artist movie. 
Like, it's about, it's a movie about an artist, and he's, like, sitting for a portrait with him. I'm forgetting the name right now. Right, and I don't want to lose sight of the fact that he was, like, the lead role in, like, a huge blockbuster movie, but it just flopped. You guys you guys are going to be like, oh, yeah, he was in that. That's uh, The Lone Ranger. He was, like, the Lone Ranger in that movie oh, with Johnny man, that, Depp. That movie got a lot of bad press. Uh... <laughs> I know, that's what I mean. Like, it's, like, this guy has been cast as lead characters in huge movies in the past not even that long ago i mean we're talking five years ago but it never it it, it never felt like he i never felt like he caught on yeah. like he has yeah. right now and also to be fair he's kind of kind of getting overshadowed by how cute timothy is yeah. <laughs> oh yeah i mean i i stand hard for the fact that army hammer should have been nominated for best supporting actor and i even saw Call Me by your name again last week and i'm even more upset that he didn't get nominated at least nominated. I'm not even saying he should have won, although I, you could make an argument that he should have won. But yeah, I thought he should have been nominated at the very least. Woody Harrelson getting a nomination in I am really pissed. <laughs> you only had to do. Ha- I mean, I let it go. I'm, I'll be all right. But, <laughs> but anyways, me off. <laughs> all right. So the last thing before we get into reviews. Uh, so a new Terminator is happening, and oh. the have said that Mackenzie Davis is in negotiations to join the cast the mm. the sequel slash reboot she's been in the new Blade Runner 2049 and also in The Martian those are small roles but she's also done some TV work starring in Halt Catch Fire yeah, been and Black Mirror episode so what are your thoughts on Terminator coming back again at a retirement. Anna, you go ahead. You go first. I don't know. I feel I'm getting just tired of seeing the same movies put out over and over and over again. Like, why make Terminator again? Why not write a new story? <laughs> I mean, I know why. Like, they're doing it to, like, capitalize on a franchise. <laughs> a franchise. <laughs> Cinematic Universe. Yeah. But I'm just not particularly interested in it. I cannot agree more. This, this franchise is suffering from such fatigue and it's on multiple levels i mean they've come out with tv shows and reboots and they've done movies that are sort of set in the universe but not based around the main character which i guess is the terminator right they had the movie with christian bale where it was sort of like it's weird to say this but it was like a futuristic prequel because theoretically like he sends the guy back in time whatever whatever but anyway like they had that movie and i just don't care anymore and also, I heard that Arnold's going to be in this one again. It's like, dude, retire this character. I don't understand why anyone wants to see... Like, the story is over. His story is finished. I don't... Also, how... Explain to me why the robot is aging. Like, can anyone explain that to me? Why is Arnold in these movies? What is this? I don't care. Stop. <laughs> Stop making Terminator movies. At least wait 20 years. Do what Dread did. And what other franchises from the 80s have done, wait 25 years, and then bring it back. Yeah. I don't care anymore. I don't care. All right, you guys done? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, I kind of care. And I'll tell you why. Uh, <laughs> I understand your frustration for, for it. It's, you know, the Christian Bale. They thought that that, remember when that came out? They're like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. Franchise. They're gonna do another trilogy. Yeah, right? trilogy. Just uh, didn't work. Then the reboot. 
I have a friend that was so excited for the movie. And he loved it. All right? People love these movies. But that's not my point. Do they? They keep rebooting them. They don't even they're not even running with the same cast. So the reason it it's working this way. So what they're going to do is get the director Deadpool, Tim Miller, to do the sequel to Terminator 2: Judgment Day, effectively erasing the last 3 films or whatever uh, and rebooting the franchise. So kind of like a Halloween thing. Those movies didn't didn't uh, count, so we're gonna go back to T two. Halloween's different Listen, though. Look, give me wait. Okay, but a slasher movie is different. Right. So, the reason why I'm a, mostly excited for it is because James Cameron is back. James Cameron wasn't really in the mix for the TV show, the third, the fourth, and the fifth one, because I forgot about a TV show. Yeah. So what they did. <laughs> Is back when James Cameron was like a he he directed Piranhas right, and he he wrote a little screenplay screenplay called Terminator. He sold his rights so he was so he could direct the movie and not get fired for a dollar. To the producer Gail uh, Hurd, Gail Ann Hurd, and so. Okay. James Cameron hasn't had the rights for I don't know how long 30 years is now I don't know but he yeah he More gets the rights years, back yeah. in 2019 and I'm interested to see how he finishes off the thing that he started that's all whether I think this is gonna be good or not I don't know I <laughs> just I am does curious. it have to be finished can he <laughs> <laughs> I am curious about this movie and I really do like the casting of Mackenzie Davis. I Yeah, so I guess I should say I really love Mackenzie Davis. I was a big fan of Halls and Catch Fire, uh, at least what I saw. I haven't seen all of the show, but what I saw, I really, I really like. I really liked it. I really like her. I think she's, I think she's uh, super talented, but I don't, I don't know if it's enough. Like Amelia Clark is talented too, and she was in the last one, and it didn't do well, and the movie wasn't that good. So, who's to say whether like she is enough to bring this movie up to par? Maybe James Cameron's involvement will change things. Uh, I'll see that. That that could be. But you just said you want some new faces, and James Cameron is not a new face. It's not his new new face, but it is his baby. You know, okay. But sometimes, sometimes it's good to just leave it like Lady B, though. Let's uh, just re-release instance. Titanic again. Yeah, for for instance, Ridley Scott has been playing around maybe too much in the Alien sandbox and hasn't made a good Alien I mean, movie. That, in yeah, God that's that's a point. Yeah, just throwing it out there. Like sometimes it's like you gotta let it go. Like you gotta give it some some space. Even though he hasn't been involved with the franchise recently, it still has been producing crappy content. And that is going to make so people less excited. I'm excited to see that it. Tim Miller is directing this. Yeah. And so, one thing about Tim Miller is that he's not, he's not directing Deadpool 2. And so far, the early screenings of Deadpool 2 saying it's not that great. I mean, here's the thing with Deadpool. It's a great idea. I don't know how much staying power it has because you sort of... It's like one of those movies where you sort of use all your best material in the first go. 
and then it's like what do you do now right and I think it's hard to maintain that sort of enthusiasm especially with all the superhero movies that are happening now and when it came out it was sort of like a fresh take on the, the genre but now we've seen it and then we saw uh, Ragnarok do sort of like a comedy slash superhero movie and they did it well and uh, also just to bring up this point Deadpool is a really fun character to play with I don't know how much fun Terminator is to play with how, how fun can you make Terminator? It's supposed to be bleak and sad and depressing, and we've seen it. And I think, I just, also, to be quite frank, Terminator 2 is a really, it's like an awesome movie. And I, I don't know how you, like, beat that. I don't know, even know how you live up to that film. Even when James Cameron has the rights back, like, I'd be okay if they just stopped making Terminators. <laughs> like, I wouldn't notice. <laughs> Wait 20 years. 20 years. 2-0. That's, that's what you do whenever you have an 80s franchise. Wait and just do like a Blade Runner kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, I just, I, I, everybody loved that movie. Look at how well Jumanji did. And they waited all those years. Yeah. I mean, just make a decent movie. I just want that, you know, make a good one. Yeah, and also, how much can you play with time? I mean, I feel like they've jumbled up the timeline so bad now. Like, I mean, I know that's why they're rewriting. That's why they're b- rewriting it because they screwed up the time-space continuum in these films. There's no damn continuity. There's no rules. Time has no time. Is there is supposed to be rules to time travel? And Terminator has broken all of them. <laughs> all right. Are you guys, uh, James? Do you have anything else? No. Let's get into reviews. And now our feature presentation. So the first movie we're talking about today is Thoroughbreds, directed by Corey Finley and written by Corey Finley as well. It stars Olivia Cooke, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Anton Yelchin, as well as, and I think I should mention this character because he is sort of the, I guess antagonist, but it's not. he's sort of off-screen a lot. Paul Sparks plays the stepfather, who they are trying to kill which I feel comfortable saying because it's in the frickin' trailer. The movie is about two upper-class teenage girls in suburban Connecticut who rekindle their unlikely friendship after years of growing apart because one of them has no frickin' emotions. Together, they hatch a plan to solve both of their problems no matter what the cost. Guys, this was a very bizarre film to watch. And I feel bad saying this, but it reminded me of Neon Demon because it was very pretty and cool. But I, at the end, I was like, I don't really know if that was an entire movie. If it was, it was almost like seventy percent of a movie, yeah, or seventy-five percent of a movie. And I just, I felt like it was missing something, and I'm not even sure what exactly it is missing. But it just doesn't feel whole. That's crazy, man. Because you were, you were excited for it. Yeah, no, I agree that it felt like it was missing something. Uh, So this movie kind of reminded me of Spring Breakers in the fact that it's like, like it's a sort of visually interesting movie that when you just look at it, like it's like a very mediocre movie on watching, but like it wants you to be having an interesting, like a deeper conversation. Like, I think that's why you saw someone like the stepdad in this movie like the it feels like you're missing something there with him but i sort of me thinks that that's the point but i i need to like i agree with that yeah that i think you i think there's a lot of marinating you can do with this movie after it that i 
haven't fully done yet. <laughs> I think it's interesting. Uh, the way it shot's kind of cool. The way it shot also sort of felt like the guy saw a bunch of artsy movies and he was like, oh, if I do all this, it'll make my movie deep. <laughs> yeah, just looking at the trailer, I was like, man, this guy looks like he's inspired by Wes Anderson. How everything's so symmetrical, so nice. And then watching it, I'm just like, looks like he watched the YouTube video on like best like shots to put in a movie kind of thing. Like he was like, oh, Spielberg, Warner's, I'm do that. Because there's long takes in this movie. Very long takes. Very, very, yeah, very like long takes. The cinematography is great. I mean, it's pretty. But there's more to <laughs> than being a pretty movie. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like the idea is there, but it's like it didn't really know how to make me care that much. Yeah. I don't know. It's just hard to say. And I I was really excited about this film, like James said, uh, mostly because I was excited to see Olivia Cook in this sort of, like, role. I don't know. It just was weird. I, don't, I You know what? It's funny. I, I it remind, Her character reminded me of that Netflix show. Is it the end of the effing world? Yeah, that oh, one. Oh yeah. yeah, with the sociopath kid, and I felt like, and I know it's you get it's you get in danger when you compare movies to television programs because just TVs have more time, but I felt like that character was more interesting than her character, and I wanted to be more interested by her. I really did. I thought her performance was fine. I mean, she did what she could with what she had. Yeah, it just didn't feel you know great. The characters. Like, they wanted to portray these sort of, these characters that could be more fit into a box. Like, when you say you have a character that has no feelings, that means that everything they do in the movie has to be a reaction of, like, not having feelings. And it sort of felt like there were instances where I was like, okay, I know you don't have feelings, but even just, like, the way you're handling the situation means that, like, you have a minimum of something happening in there. And so you can't just say a pers- a character has no feelings. Like, it sort of... It felt like they were just going for a shock value by saying she doesn't feel anything. Do they actually say that in the movie? Or is that a bad, bad... It's in the trailer. way to market this movie. Yeah, because the trailer markets as one girl has no feelings and the other girl feels everything. And I didn't feel that... That's a lie. Yeah, I didn't feel that with That's either of them. That was a lie. Yeah, that was a complete lie. And uh, I do want to talk about Anya Taylor-Joy's character a little bit. Yeah, Lily. Lily, the character Lily in this movie just felt like I don't I don't even, I have no idea what her goal. Oh, my goodness, like, yeah. I understand. Okay, so her her goal was to get rid of her stepfather. But <laughs> it just, I don't know. It didn't feel real. Like, it just felt very fabricated. Like, like Anno said, you're. I feel like the whole time you're watching this film, you're waiting for the stepdad to do something so egregious that you agree with the characters, mm-hmm. that you can root for these characters. And it never happens! He's a dick, but that's it! I don't know why you'd want to... I mean, like, he's an asshole. And I understand teenage angst and your emotional and your hormonal and all that stuff. But dude, you gotta give me more than that to make me care about your, your goal or your character, to make me root for you, because I feel like it's a big part. You're either rooting for someone or rooting against someone, and you don't want them to just Yeah, why don't you just run away? (laughs) So, when, yeah, when reviews say that this movie is... So, yeah, one of the things they say in the trailer is that there's a review that says this movie is American Psycho meets Heathers. And I think the character Lily is supposed to be 
the American psycho of it. But the thing is, like, you either need to make a character, like, relatable in some way, or you need to make them very interesting. And this character didn't achieve either for me. So when I left the movie, I was like, I, I just don't care about her. She wasn't particularly interesting, and she wasn't relatable, so I don't care yeah, about her. Yeah, how can you relate <laughs> to being rich she- as fuck? <laughs> I was going to ask that. James, James, does this movie hurt itself by making these characters affluent white people? Because, like, it's just like, dude, there are so many people in the world yeah. with way worse problems than but you. But I think that's what the director wants the conversation to be after the movie. Oh, man, all these rich white people with other crazy problems, and they just don't know how to, like, they don't know how to handle their issues. Is, like, that sort of the idea? Yeah. So that's what I think the director wants people to be talking about after. But I think he does a bad job of making people want to have that either conversation or reflection. Like, the movie isn't interesting enough. And so instead, we're just complaining about how it feels like we're just watching, like, rich white people complain. Also, I I don't, I didn't, I hated the Lily character so much. <laughs> uh, I would, I just wish there would have been more of Olivia Cook's character, Amanda. I feel like she wasn't even in it that much. I mean, I guess she was, but I, there was a lot of her just kind of standing around, not doing anything. And I guess maybe that's like the whole emotion. I thought there was too much Lily. I don't know. Tell, what would you, you guys think of Antoine? Yep. Anton? Anton. 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 Yeah, what would you guys <laughs> I thought he was great. He's the only relatable yeah, character he, in the whole I was damn like, movie. I want more of him. Yeah, he's barely in it. So He's so in it little that I thought maybe he passed away during filming, but a but according to what you told us, he did not. He passed away after, which is... And obviously this movie is sort of was dedicated to him and all that stuff, which is um, nice. But how about you just put him in the movie? They, they, could, they, they could have used his character as like a great dynamic with them because they kind of seem like kind of like one-noted, and he seemed like a rich character, you know? He had a lot of questions about where he was going in life, and he was trying to fit in with this crowd that he didn't really fit in with, but he was also, like, afraid to sort of move on. Like, there was a lot there, and we just, we get, like, what, 15 minutes of him? So. Maybe? Uh, I know, Anna, we talked about this movie before, and you said that you were like, why are there chapters? <laughs> why are there chapters? And I have your answer. <laughs> because he's a playwriter. Ah. Yeah, he's a respected English playwright, I guess under the name Harold Pinter. Yeah, who won a no- yeah he yeah he won a Nobel Peace Prize for literary in two thousand five for his body of work. So this is his debut directorial debut. I think the movie still could have done without saying like chapter one, chapter two, because uh, the like the transitions weren't between each chapter weren't stark enough that I wouldn't have just been like it would have made sense for the movie to just keep flowing yeah but instead they're like chapter two I feel like it's it's kind of like he wrote this as as a uh, play and then his friend's like yo this would be a great movie you should do that well his friend lied he's like you should let me produce (laughs) maybe that's why he yeah maybe that's why he tried to put so many like artsy visual shots into it like you just have so many long takes that it it just becomes redundant like after a while one starts you're just like okay everybody sit back (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, the chapters are clearly the Tarantino part of this film, which is full of homages. It's like, oh, I'll just put chapters Kids in this. That'll make it. it like Tarantino's <laughs> films. I don't know. I feel like we're being a little harsh. I didn't hate it, like, that much. I just didn't really know what the hell I was watching, which is a lot like Neon Demon, because I don't, I don't know if there's, like, a lot there. Like, there's not a lot to sink my teeth into, as opposed to, like, a film like Annihilation, which has, like, it, which I also didn't think was, like, a perfect film, but, like, God, there's so much to talk about. There's so much symbolism. There's so much, you know, everything, and this movie just feels like it's two flat characters, three flat characters, <laughs> and one round one that's barely in the movie. I Round is putting it very nicely. I think... Uh, Ant- I'm talking about Yelchin's character. Yeah, no, yeah, me well, too. I, I think uh, I think his character highlights how little character development there is in the entire movie. Because we don't... Like, he's oval? We, is he oval-shaped? He's like a... He's like square with like rounded edges, <laughs> like you know the buttons on like phones and websites. Like he's one of those rounded. Yeah, buttons. are we shapes yeah. for breakfast? Come on. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's just like you know the the uh, to use to use literary lingo. I mean, like these characters just don't have a lot there. Like I don't even know what the goal of Olivia Cook's character is in this film. Like it's not to help anyone because she's utterly. I mean, she's helpful to a point. Um. And then, I mean, the only character with, like, a distinct goal is Anya Taylor-Joy's character, but her goal is stupid and doesn't ever, and it never gives you a reason to root for her. (laughs) So, I don't know. Is there anything else we should really say? Did you guys think, do you guys think he should make another film? Like, do you think there's a future in, do you think he has a career in in filmmaking? Do you think he'll make more movies? I think he has room for growth. Yeah, it's... Like, I would see another one of his movies... But if it didn't get better, then I'd be like, okay, man, <laughs> maybe just stick with playwriting. It's, it's no Jordan Peele, you know, you know, n- knocking it out fresh out the gate. Man, that's like a disservice. <laughs> Don't even bring up Get Out in a conversation. Why not? Why not? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know. It's just I feel bad. I feel bad even breathing like mentioning them in the same paragraph. Yeah, they make it seem frank. like this I mean, movie was so, terrible. Like, and that movie, it's it wasn't bad. <laughs> it wasn't a movie that I regretted seeing. All right, so let's talk about a movie you did regret seeing. I didn't regret seeing either of this week's films. <laughs> for the for the record, I, I... okay. So our other movie this week is A Wrinkle in Time, which is about the disappearance of a father scientist. Uh, three peculiar beings show up and send Me- Meg, her brother. And her friend into space in order to find him. Uh, the director is Ava DuVernay, and this is based on the novel by Madeline Engel, and the screenplay is written by Jennifer Lee and Jeff Stockwell. So this movie stars Storm Reed, Oprah Winfrey, Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Kaling, Levi Miller, Derek McCabe, and Chris Pine. Oh my god. Stars everybody. <laughs> what a cast. What a cast. So, good yeah. cast. Uh, very, very famous director. Yeah, so should I, who wants to talk about this first? Anna, since you read the book? Yeah. Well, so, okay. What I had to keep reminding myself during this movie is that this movie wasn't made for me. Oh, man, I have a problem with that argument. <laughs> Such a problem. Yeah. That does not mean that you cannot absolve yourself from criticism if, if that's if that's your own. If that's the argument. Well, like, no, I still have criticism. I, I, I like still it. have criticisms about it. But the okay. thing is, like, 
there's a large history of movies like being made to capitalize on like kids and families seeing them. And uh yeah. And there are lots of good ones though, too. There are. <laughs> and I don't think this movie's like terrible. But um No, it's not. But it's not Lion King. It's, it's not, not Lion King. Up. It's n- Yeah, I mean it's not uh I'm trying to think of a live action one off the top of my head. But there are just like lot it's on there are also like lots of movies that are just on level with this. So it's not a terrible movie. It's going to make lots of money. It's not a movie for me. And especially, and I'm sorry to make this comparison, but like compared to the book, like just read the book. Read the book with your kid instead. It'll be a better time. (laughs) So, Anne, I want to ask you this because this is what I, this is the first thing I thought walking out of the theater. Um, And as a fan of, as a noted fan of the Dragon Ball franchise, no, and I and I and I think this is a question that I've always had. It, it, sometimes there's just there's certain source material that you literally that is very very difficult to make a film out of. And Dragon Ball is one of these source materials. I was actually talking to someone who's also a Dragon Ball fan, and he was making a case for why a movie would work. And I was like, No, it just doesn't work. I don't think you could do it unless you had five hundred million dollars. And even then, it would probably still look ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask Anna: Is this one of those stories? Is this story just too difficult to make a movie out of? I think that's a fair case for it because one of the things that's so rich about this book is in your mind you create an, this entire universe where all of these just like outstanding things are happening. And it is really impressive that we're now in a place with technology that they can even come close to creating something as visually intriguing as what they put on screen but you lose some of the wonder that you get in reading the book and creating that world in your mind. And so it's it's just hard to translate. Yeah, and, and I think you could feel that in the film. Like, I mean, I was perpetually confused. Yeah. By what was happening. I was like, okay, well, they had, we to, no they had to move the, fu- the film along really fast to make everything happen. Yeah, it was very short. It was a short movie. It was only an hour and 40 minutes. I think that might be because it's a kid's movie and they have to captive, They have to sort of keep that in mind because attention spans are shorter and shorter and shorter as children, as we go forward in the future and cell phones and all that stuff. But I felt like mm-hmm. I, yeah, I went by very quickly and I was always, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I'm dumb, but maybe I am. I just was confused sometimes by uh, how quickly things were picking, like p- people were picking things up, like. And, and what was happening, James? What do you? What do you? What about you? Are, am I, I alone in this? this movie. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> uh, I saw this movie before you guys, uh, and yeah, I was just like, I need to talk to someone about this. I even gave you my little review on it. You know, gave it kind of like a C plus. I said it was better as a Disney Channel movie. Which it could not have been because of the large budget. (laughs) And I've heard a lot of talks about how this movie was just—I mean, this book was so—you—you—it's unfilmable. Critics, critics are saying that you know it's as close as you can get it. You know. Well, I just think okay. So I just looked up some stuff about the the people who did the screenplay. I had issues with the screenplay. (laughs) I think maybe part of the issue for me is that the screenplay was written by people who write K-12 
kids' movies as opposed to people who write science fiction movies. Yeah, especially because, like, the, the main thing about this movie is, like, the science, women in science, mm-hmm. you know, and also the dad in yeah. science. There's, that's lost in it, too. Also, isn't this, the, the source material, doesn't it deal with magic also? Well, yeah, it's like science fiction fantasy, because, like, you have, the th- like, the whole premise of being able to access all these things in the universe is that the mom and the dad uh, are scientists who find a way. And so, like, it's sure. a very fantastical science fiction sort of view. But the, the screenwriters for this are people who who have done, like, The Bridge to Terabithia and Frozen. And so they wrote... A- Frozen's good. Wrote- yeah, but it's not science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Very, fair, fair, fair enough. That's fair. So I think this movie... Because, yeah, I took issue with the way some of the... The way the screenplay was written was written to just be a movie, a kid's movie. And it took away from some of the more interesting parts of the book. So in the beginning, I was excited for it. I was like, okay. It, it was... it was In the beginning, I was like, all right, cool. But then the way they bully her in, in the movie, I'm just like, come on. That's just... That's unrealistic how to bully someone. Yeah, but like, happy yeah, four, mean, four year anniversary that your dad's dead. <laughs> and hold on to that shit for four years. I've been waiting. I've had that post note for four happy years. I'm waiting for this day. Anyways. Here you go. Yeah, it's just. And then it went through it. It was really beautiful. And then it was just like. It felt like it had to like catch up and tie things up real quick. They're like, oh my God, we need to end this movie real quick. Resolution. Uh, boss battle uh here's the ending also it had it was very like prototype and i mean i guess the book is too but it's very like hero's journey-esque false defeat recover you know come back whatever i mean i get yeah this is a kid's film and which is fine but you can also you can bring the adults with you and i just feel like this movie what is it like 35 percent rotten tomatoes and i wonder if this is going to be like a movie that kids are gonna love and then they're gonna grow up with this be like wrinkle in time top 10 movies when i saw a kid when when i saw a kid when i was a kid listen to me whenever you're a kid you're just like you have some movies that you're just like yeah rewatch them you're like that wasn't that great it's gonna this is gonna be one of those movies that kids (laughs) are gonna rewatch and be like no it's not good you know what that movie was for me the punisher so that was really cool when I was a kid and I grew up and I was like, this is a bad movie. <laughs> Critics didn't like Hook when that came out, but people around our age love it. Sure. Fair enough. I mean, and that maybe. Um, real quick, though. Does this hurt Ava du- uh, Duvernay? No. Duvernay. Does it hurt her at all? Yeah. Does this hurt her career? People, does people this hurt are being her, like, so nice to her. Social standing. They're just... Yeah. All right, are people being too nice? No. no, I don't think the directing is necessarily what brings out the weak points of this movie. And uh, I think visually there are really cool things that happen, and it's a big-budget movie, sure. so she's probably just going to go up from here. I wish we would have got more exploration of like some planets. I mean, if, what, we want three planets? Yeah, I, I definitely wanted more of an adventure, because it just felt like, oh, three things, and then you're like, whoa, I'm at the end. What? 
I mean, it was really quick. Like, it was like, hey. And maybe they just spent too much time at the beginning. Like, I did. Like, why do we need the scene? Oh, I don't want to get into, like, spoiler territory. But there's a couple of, like, ex- like scenes where you're introduced to these three. Uh, I don't even know what they're, what they're really. What, they're, what is their title, Anna? The, the three women. Oh, they're uh, Mrs. Who, Mrs. What's It, and Mrs. Witch. Right, right. But what are they, like, called, like, as a collective group? I don't remember. Whatever those three characters are, there was a lot of like intro. Like they have, there's a, a couple scenes where they're like introduced sing, uh, alone, and I just you could cut those. Like I would rather, like why not just meet them all at the same time and then. So that's how we get more yeah, space stuff. That's how it's done in the book. Like they meet them individually like that. But yeah, because the thing is, it's a it's a short book too. But just it's like 200, 220 pages. It's like a Harry Potter book. No, right? it's, it's like a lot. Harry Potter books are kind of long. No, no, not the not the new no the later ones are, but the first couple are like two hundred fifty quick reads. Yeah, um, yeah, this is a short book, and uh, but the way it's written, you can just capture so much more of like this like trip through worlds that visually it just felt rushed. Yeah, yeah, I was disappointed. I was excited for this. Legitimately, I was like, "This is gonna dethrone Black Panther." I'm really excited. Ava DuVernay, I'm all on it. I'm on the hype train, and now I'm just kind of like, "Wow." What do you guys think wow. of the child actors? Fine. Yeah, they were mm-hmm. fine. Nothing, nothing awe-inspiring. It was fine. They were, they weren't bad. I mean, I, I feel like that's all you could really ask from child. I mean, it's. I feel like child actors that are in more serious roles are just. It's just a. I feel like it's just a totally different task. Yeah. Like Charles Charles Wallace was was cute, yeah he was good. The other ones yeah. were like they're fine. They're fine, yeah. I, I and that that's that's good enough for me in this <laughs> scenario. Oh James, you we wanted to talk about Chris Pine's but, uh, character, the dad. Yeah. And so one thing with it, I was just thinking about is what they did with the like the males in this movie kind of like the the friend that went on the trip with them he seemed like if if the roles were reversed he was the the damsel in distress no but like he really didn't do anything in the movie no he didn't which is fine yeah the charles wallace was just like hey you're a good negotiator but they never show him negotiating anything yeah he's just (laughs) he's just there just just there and i'm just like but he he doesn't do any of that. I'm like, maybe there are scenes where he does do some diplomacy and some Trump level negotiations, but uh, I did not see that in the film. Okay, well I think that wraps it up for us. Uh, we I guess we'll see you at the movies. Oh,